in order to gain trust the responsibility to persuade always lies on the side of the persuader and not on the side of those that are to be persuaded. The persuasion brought by the persuader must be of such a kind that refusal to be persuaded could only be seen as rebellion, hardness of heart or simply rejection of that which a person knows is correct in order to be absolute or perfect. It can even go as far as simple refusal to be a friend of the persuader since faith can also be defined as being befriended. We see this clearly in the life of Abraham, he believed and was called the friend of God. God has come to bring us faith founded in what truly speaks to the heart of man in what he demonstrated in Jesus Christ. If the message of the cross, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is not brought forth as a message that emphasizes God befriending us, we are forced to conclude that there is something wrong with how and or what is communicated. A salvation message that sounds foreign to simple love tends to bring doubt and not faith. A message of faith that does not fit the parameters of what would be logical inside a healthy family, produces fear instead of faith, leading a person to unbelief, which on its part, results in the tormenting of the individual, should he or she understand that faith is necessary for salvation. Should faith come by hearing the word of God, the word of God must be a message that makes logical sense inside the parameters of a loving family. The redemption theory we present has to be one of love that resonates with the heart of the hearer. In my preparation for today's message I went back into the archives of Dynamic Love Ministries and found a very powerful message I preached in Chicago eight years ago. The message was on faith and what it is in the context of a loving father. As I listened to the message I realized that the encouragement it brought me would not escape you as you listen to it. I did prepare notes on the message which is available from info at dynamicministries.com. Let us together enjoy the truth of what faith is all about. Now, when it comes to, um, to faith, you know, we have traditionally believed that faith is this great thing that we need to um, basically do in order for God to do something for us. Uh, faith was basically um, the one thing that was left over after the law was now fulfilled and Jesus did everything for us we still had this one thing that we had to do in order for God to do something for us, and that is called faith. And um, when it comes to faith, when we look at faith in that perspective, we find that uh, a person that comes from a great, uh, a grace, uh, a, out of grace circles want to kind of think of faith as a work. Uh, we need a work up faith, or we need to um, please God with our faith. God is not pleased if we don't have faith. God is pleased by faith. So we must now have enough faith to please God. Now, um, if we hear that kind of a, a logic, the subconscious mind of a human being will not want to have a lot to do with a being that demands that faith. Uh, let me put it this way. <clears throat> Imagine I come and I say to you that I've got, a, I've got children or I've got a neighbor. And this neighbor is such a wonderful guy that he tells his children that he will only be good to them if the children believes in him. What would you think of the neighbor? You know, I mean, we as parents, if your ch child believes in you or don't believe in you, you are yourself, isn't it? You will want to persuade him of your love. You will want to persuade him of your goodness. And um, the message of faith has always been this thing of uh, where God demands the faith unless he's, 
and if he doesn't have it from you, then he will send you to hell or he will not love you. He will not be good to you. Now, uh, as you listen to this and people may be watching via the web, you might think, oh, you know, Bertie is now fallen into universalism. Um, I'm not a universalist. I don't believe in universalism at all. I just believe that we need to put faith in the perspective that it originally um, was in the perspective of the Trinity, in the perspective of relationship, and then define why we need faith. And because without faith, it is impossible to be saved. But we need to know why we need faith. And we cannot approach faith from the perspective of a God demanding it. And unless he sees you giving him the faith, he will not do anything for you. Because that is outside of, outside of what I call relationship logic. Uh, we cannot define faith the way we have seen faith um, uh, uh, in the church traditionally uh, inside relationship. Like I said, you know, if you tell your wife, listen, unless you believe in me, I'm not going to, I'm not giving you food this week or money for food. I mean, that doesn't, there's something wrong with that, isn't it? Now, I want you to think with me, and, and as, as I believe the Holy Spirit is going to use examples to stretch your understanding and, and, and challenge the traditional way of looking at faith, don't just be scared and say and think of 20 verses to try and protect yourself. Um, know this, I believe that you need to have faith to be saved. It's impossible to be saved without faith. I'm not trying to, 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 to teach universalism tonight. And, um, you know, I want to explain to you how it is to have, how easy it is to have faith and how great the faith is that you can have and how easy it is to have great faith. That's what I want to teach you. But in order for that to happen, I want to just challenge the traditional way of looking at faith so that, you, so that your brain can tell you, listen, maybe I should open up to something else because what I've traditionally believed might just have been wrong. So that I can get what is true and what, can, what is sustainable. You know, we cannot have uh, this mindset of, faith points in heaven, and when you get 10 points, then God decides to do something for you. Imagine I've got a, a neighbor that says, that, that would take his children, put them in a difficult situation, to see as if they would have faith in him, and should they have faith in him, he would save them from the difficult situation and appear as a savior. And should they not have faith in, in them, then he would leave them in the situation that they are in. Would you allow that neighbor to babysit your children? But, uh, you know, um, that is what, and the reason I use that example is because that is what my mind believed through the traditional thing of faith. You know, God would put you in a desert. He would put you in a difficult time because He wants to test your faith. That was why, why, what I also believe the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was, was if they would be obedient to God, if they would believe God, and God would only then do something for them unless they first believed in Him. You know, faith is, let me put it this way, faith is what your heart needs. Faith is what your heart needs in order to make use of God and what He has given you. Unless you can believe in Him, it's not that He will not do something for you, it is that your heart will not be able to receive what He has given to you unless you can believe in Him. 
A simple example, if you're at an airport and somebody comes to you and tells you, will you just take this bag for me through the security? <laughs> Are you going to take the bag? <laughs> Why not? But if it is your wife that comes and she says to you, that loves you, that cares for you, and she says, listen, um, I've got this, will you just give this gift to somebody on the other side? You will not even worry what's in the bag. You'll just take it. Why? Because your heart believes in her. If your heart doesn't believe in the person that wants to give you a gift, want to give you something, if your heart doesn't believe uh, in that person, you will not be able to take it. So faith is needed for you. And because you need faith, that's why God is pleased with faith. Because if you can have faith, then God can, then what God has already given in Christ, you can be able to use that. And that pleases Him. It's not that He sits in heaven and He's got this rule and He's got this law that says, you know, I fulfilled all the laws and I fulfilled all the prophets and there's only two things that I haven't fulfilled and that's tithing and faith. That's it. So, unless you faith until I feel you've got enough, you know, I will not, I cannot do anything for you. That, that belief about God, if that is the, the, the concept wherein we define faith, you will find that your heart cannot trust God, your heart cannot believe in God, and the effect of that is death. The effect of that is the fruit of the flesh. The effect of that is everything that you hate and don't want manifesting in your life because you cannot have peace in the depth of your heart. Imagine I come to you and I say to you, I've got a neighbor. He is so just. He's such a holy man. He is so uh, uh, full of life. He's so full of holiness that... And he's so full of love and kindness and he stands so for what is right that if any of his children sin, his justice can only be satisfied by him killing the child. If the child sins. And then I go on, I say, but to, to accommodate his goodness... What he's done is, he felt very sorry for the son that sinned, and then he said, okay, because I'm good, I will go and have one of my other children killed, so that I can have a platform from where I can forgive the guilty one. Imagine I tell you I've got a neighbor like that. And he also babysits kids. And uh, would you have him babysit your children? I'm challenging what we believe. I do believe without the blood of Jesus, there cannot be um, redemption or forgiveness. I do believe that Jesus had to, God had to be incarnated in a human being. I do believe that Jesus had to die upon the cross. I believe that there had to be a death. There had to be a resurrection. And we have to have faith in what all of that means in order to have salvation. Okay, I believe all of that. But what the subconscious mind hear when he hears about a man that is so good, but that he, his justice cannot be satisfied unless he has spanked you or beaten you or done something like that, you know, your heart will say, well, I don't want to be beaten. I don't want to go to hell. So let me rather believe in this person. You know, and the faith you will have would actually be an action of fear and you've never tasted what it believes to actually believe in God. Yeah. 
You know, when you believe in someone, we have, we've confused belief with believing for stuff instead of believing in someone. I can believe that a person, so say a person is a, a little bit crazy. I can believe that he's crazy, but I cannot believe in him. I hope you, you hear the difference. I can believe that Jesus has died. But if you tell me that the Father had to kill him so that he could have a reason to forgive me, then I can maybe even believe that that has happened. But I will not be able to believe in him that he can actually save me and be good to me. I can believe that that can be possible, but my heart will not trust him. It would be impossible. You might say, but Bertie, what about all the verses and all this kind of things? Now, um, unfortunately, I cannot go through all the verses explaining all those things. Tomorrow night, I'm going to talk more about, um, you know, praising God in the light of His justice. And just looking at that, where we we're going to look at the cross and what happened there and everything. But I just wanted to just bring a picture to you that it is very difficult for us to actually have faith in our heart and believe in God in the presence of things that is said about God that does not portray equity of character, that does not portray a sound principle of love. It is not a, it's not sound to say that you have to punish someone in order to forgive someone else. It's not sound. There's something wrong with it. You might say, but why did Jesus die? Why was, why, why was the sacrifice there? Tomorrow I'm going to explain all of that. But I tell you that it was needed. It could not, it could not, there's no salvation without it, but we need to approach that from a different angle so that the heart can actually believe in the Father. That your heart can trust Him, that we can see that in the light of a good God. Amen. And I want to tell you, when I, as I start to realize what true faith is and start to experience what true faith is, it's so wonderful to stand at a place where it um, doesn't matter what happened, uh, if, where my heart is at rest in the integrity of God. Where when you see there's not enough money or when you see there's sickness or when you see there's disease and you open and you need to make use of belief or faith, you find that the box that says belief in your heart is full. Of belief. But what I found is that in the traditional way, when hard times come, our mind was full of scriptures and our heart was empty of belief. We couldn't believe. We had to walk up and down, quote verses, pray in tongues, do 20 things, you know, to try and work up enough persuasion to persuade our own hearts that God has seen enough equity of character from our side that would convince Him to do something for us. And that destroys the church. And sometimes, you know, I say to the Lord, Lord, you know, why don't you just give me one of those simple messages? You know, that I can just, people can also like me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> whenever you challenge people's belief, you know, it is always a touchy issue when you challenge a belief. So maybe your belief is challenged tonight. Maybe you're watching via the live stream. You, you, your belief is challenged, but let it be challenged. If it is solid, you know, then it will stand the challenge. Listen to this version, how important belief is. It says, um, 
If you confess the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. So it says here that if we can confess the Lord Jesus or Jesus as our Lord, and we can believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead. Now there's a lot around that um, that I don't want to get into now. But it says, then shall we be saved. Then shall we be saved. So salvation is connected to this belief. Salvation is connected to this, this a heart, excuse me, that can trust God. That can believe in Him. Then it says here, for everyone, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord, shall be saved. How shall they call upon Him in whom they have not believed? Now listen to, listen to the wording here. How will you call upon somebody unless you have first believed in Him? Why do you call 911 in a case of emergency? Because you believe they're going to help you. And unless they were trustworthy and have proven themselves as trustworthy, you will never call on them. So you first need to believe in order to call upon His name. The word faith um, comes from, you know, faith, faith is to be persuaded. But the root word for faith is the word which means to persuade someone. Okay? Now I want to explain to you what needs to happen in order to persuade someone. It means to persuade, in other words, to induce one by words to believe, to make a friend of, to win one's favor, to gain one's goodwill, or to seek to win one, uh, one to, uh, or, or to seek to win one. So what he says here is, when I want someone to believe in me, when I want him to have faith in me, then I'll do the following. I will speak words that can cause his heart to believe in me. To be persuaded of a certain argument. If you are a good salesman, what you want to do is, you want the person to believe you. You want him to be persuaded, you want him to believe you, and because you want him to believe you, you'll get dressed in a way that can tell his heart, this guy might be telling the truth. If you're a car salesman, you know, you're not going to stand there with old clothes and dreadlocks and, you know, just smoke marijuana and then try and sell the car. The guy's not going to believe you if you say this is the best car there is. Because what he sees tells his heart, I cannot believe in him. So when you want someone to have faith in you, you must first be believable. You need to be believable. And that is, and, and when the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, what it means is there is a word that is believable. It's possible to believe that word. That word comes packaged in a way that the human heart, when he hears what is, what is said, will want to trust in that being that's behind that word. So here it says, if God wants us to have faith, what will God have, have to do? He will have to um, induce belief by certain words. He'll have to come and make a friend. 
He has to, he will have to win your favor. He will have to win your goodwill and he will have to win you over to him. That is what it means, you know, if I want somebody to believe in me. So a person that has got faith is someone who is persuaded because of the words, the believable words that he has heard, is someone who sees God as his friend, is someone who, um, with whom God has won his favor. It's someone who has, when you have faith in God, is when God has has gained your goodwill and when He's won you over by being good to you. That means, that's what it means to actually believe in God. And when we believe in God, we can actually say that I don't have, we can actually then believe His promise. We've tried to believe the promise without believing in Him. You know, if somebody just comes and, if somebody comes to me, you know, the one guy came and he promised me, um, when you're in ministry, you find many people promising you stuff. You know, and sometimes a guy comes and he promises you and you can look at him and you can think, you know, I don't know if you keep your promise, but then he does. But it is difficult, even if he would be able to keep his promise, it was difficult for your heart to believe in him for you don't know him. And what we have made faith out to be is to believe in someone you cannot trust. To have as little information as possible. To have a heart that cannot be persuaded. You know, and then have blind faith and just say, I just believe. No. <laughs> That's not what God intended. That is not how any relationship works. And when we look at God, we, we find in the Hebrew it says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, uh, th that word God in the, in the Hebrew is Elohim, which means the divine ones. The, it's the plural for the word God. It's the more than one God. Now you might say, that's heresy. No, it's not heresy. It is the building blocks of Christianity. In, be, before time, there was a God. This God, the Hebrew for the word God means the more than one, or God in plural form. The best way to say it is this way. Family. Family speak of more than one, yet the family can be one. There can only be one family. But the moment you say there's one family, family means there's more than one. And then the family can either be broken up, or the family can be one. In unison and in unity. And that is what the Bible talks about when it says, Lord, uh, uh, Israel, know this, the Lord your God is one. What he was trying to say is, this is a relationship-orientated thing. This is a, a thing where the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they are transparent towards one another. Their hearts are open. It's a safe place for each one of them. They believe and trust in each other. They are born into each other. They are one. And we are made to function like that. And we are not made to function in something that we cannot understand. God came and He declared who He was. He came to the earth he dwelt among us. He poured out His Holy Spirit. He works in our hearts. He gave us the Bible. He speaks to us through dreams, visions, and, and passions in our heart. And He comes and He portrays. 
His love for us. He becomes a human being. He obeys on our behalf. He dies on our behalf. He's resurrected on our behalf. In human form, He's seated at the right hand of the Father, portraying who the Father is in what He does. And when we see that, we will find our heart can start to believe in Him. And when our heart can believe in Him, we can say, Okay, Father, I can believe in you. What is the promise you've made me? Then you will see the promise that He's made you is that He will make you immortal. Undying in the return of Jesus Christ, free from your contribution. When you can believe that, when you can say, I believe that free from my works, He will make, give me eternal life so that I will eternally be like the resurrected Jesus, that is called the righteousness of faith. Meaning, in the presence of a God that gave His Son, in the presence of a God who took away your sin, in the presence of a God that removed all distance, in the presence of a God that does not impute your trespasses unto you, in the presence of a God that includes you in everything He does and ends all disqualification and prepares a place for you in heaven, the righteous thing to do in that is to have a heart persuaded that He's good. And that He can fulfill His promise. And that is the righteousness of faith. What would be unrighteous is to say, I don't believe you. Because that is not as you ought to be in the presence of such a wonderful uh, 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 deed that, was that took place. That will be unrighteous in, in the perspective of that relationship. That's why we can, we, we've got three righteousnesses. The, the righteousness of the law, the righteousness of faith, and the righteousness of God. You can go and get that on my website, um, dynamicministries.com. I've got it there. I've recently preached on that, explaining those three different kinds of righteousness. So you, what, what I want to say is, it's so important for us to have an atmosphere where we can see God um, inducing a persuasion. He induces a persuasion by words. He induces belief by words. That, that will, will, will uh, um, strum the strings of your heart that you can't trust and believe in Him. Now, a doctrine that says God wants to beat up, you know, punish if somebody has sinned, a doctrine that says that, you know, God is so angry that the only way His righteousness can actually be revealed is by beating somebody to death. You know, that, that does not, that does not strum the strings of my heart. That does not produce belief in my heart. My mind can kind of judicially categorize it, but my heart cannot believe in that person. Because a person that does that to his own children is not trustworthy. Now, you know, we try to make God a being that is so much different than us that we would believe anything somebody says about Him because He's the unseen God. He's the unseen God that came and, came and expressed. In, in the Greek it says that He came to explain the Father or exegesis the Father, meaning He came and revealed the Father to us in Him being a friend of sinners. In Him killing nobody. In Him actually raising the dead. 
in him willing to take the death that sin could bring to man on him and prepare a body that could actually take that death of sin, not the anger of the Father, and so save you from death. Now when we hear that, we find that belief starts to rise in our heart. We can actually trust such a person. You know, he came and gave his life and did everything possible for a person that did not believe in him, that did not trust him, that did not do anything good. He gave his son for sinners. And when we see that, and when we see the love that he has for people, we, our hearts start to say, well, if he's done that, I'm sure the promise that he made that he can actually give me eternal life free from my works, can be so, and then I can start to rest from my works to try and produce my own life and trust Him, and then He can actually do something. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The Bible says, now listen to this, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how will they... Call on Him in whom they have not believed. You will not call 911 if you don't believe that they will do something for you. And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? How will a person believe if you have not heard of who the Father is? Now, a lot has been said in the name of Jesus. But the question is how much, you know, I do believe in, and please hear me, um, you know, I thank the Lord for the word of faith move that there was, the charismatic move that there was, even Dutch reformed everything. We today stand on the shoulders of the truth that, was also, that also came through in those packages. So it doesn't help we today stand and spit on the people and dishonor those that through whom we actually, a lot of us for the first time received the Lord that has helped us in our marriage, that has prayed for us, that has helped us when we were in the hospitals. And it doesn't help we step on them and say, we've got another revelation, we're better than you. This is not life. So what I, I embrace everybody that has taught me things in my life. And I thank God for them in my life. You know, even the pastor that wanted me to work like a slave for him. Lord... Thank you for that man. You know? I'm not going to continue with that, but I'm not going to live in bitterness towards that. And in those circles, certain elements of truth was taught, but how will you believe, and this is what I want to say, if you have not heard of who He is? And who He is is portrayed in Christ. Amen. We need to hear how good He is. So, let me put it in other words. How will we believe unless we hear words wherein He calls us friend? How will we believe in Him unless we hear of a being that wants to win our favor? How will we believe in one that is, is not inside the category of gaining your goodwill? Wherein goodwill means to be of high reputation. So, when you look at God, unless your heart can say, He is of the highest reputation, not because the Bible says so, but because you are persuaded He is on account of what He's done, then when you believe, you will call on His name. 
Okay, now what does it mean to call on the name of the Lord? Um, let me see if I can find that slide. Call on the name of the Lord, according to Thaya, means the following. To put a name upon, to surname. To permit oneself to be surnamed. Surname means family name. Okay? So, when you call on the name of the Lord, is when you say, I have found enough reason to say, I see myself. As part of this family. It's like somebody on the street. That received an inheritance. That is, 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 is just a beggar on the street. He's, re he's received an inheritance. His aunt passed away and gave him a wonderful inheritance. Now he lives on the street. He believes his name is John Smith. But as long as what he believes is Smith. He will never be able to go and take the inheritance if the inheritance is in some uh, um, in woods. In order for him to claim the inheritance is he the inheritance must be his. Then somebody has to go to him and give him all the proof of how he fits into that family. And prove that he's not Smith, but Woods. If he can believe it, then he will make use of the inheritance that has been given to him. And that would please the one that left him the inheritance. Are you hearing that? So when he comes and he goes to the lawyers and he calls upon the name, it means I'm willing... To take this name upon me, for this aunt was my aunt. And that's the thing with the Lord. When you can declare Jesus as your Lord, meaning that He, when He came to the earth, was the Lord of mankind, and He died, for the, died away the sin of the world, He ended all disqualification, He seated at the right hand of the Father as the representative of mankind, or the high priest of mankind, He is your seat in the Trinity, and when you can say that He came for me, He is my Lord, I'm part of His jurisdiction, I'm part of His family, when you can say that and then call upon that truth, you shall be saved from the slavery of sin, death, bitterness, hatred, and all kinds of fruit of the flesh. Because His inheritance that is given you is what Jesus received when He raised, was raised from the dead. Jesus inherited immortality, undying human flesh, on account of the Spirit of God that indwells Him. And that is what our inheritance is. And when we see a God that is portrayed as a good God, a loving God, a, a God that cares for us, then our heart might come to a place where we actually believe that even if I'm dead for 12,000 years, he can raise my body and give me immortality. And so will I be with the Lord forever. And what, if you can believe that, what is a next paycheck then? <laughs> it's not, that's why Jesus said, first seek the kingdom of God 
and His righteousness. What does righteousness mean? His equitable deed. His goodness. Seek how His kingdom works. His kingdom works this way. This is, this is how His kingdom works. I, Lord God, have got life. And I will give you my life. That is the way. And His righteousness is how righteous He acted in the presence of sinners. How was He righteous towards sinners? He loved them. He healed their sickness. He carried their diseases. He set them free. He died their death. He prepared a body for them and gave them a seat in the Trinity. That is the righteousness of God. Seek how righteous God is towards the sinning world. And then all these things shall anyway be added unto you. <laughs> Man, if you don't enjoy this message, my goodness, I'm enjoying it. Now listen to this. And how, how will they believe if they have not heard? And how will they hear unless they are sent? Now I remember years ago I would understand that verse as... Um, Give me money that I can go and preach the gospel. You know, how will people hear, unless I'm sent, send me, I'll go. Now, there's, there is truth in that, but I don't believe that's what that verse says. That word sent there is, is connected towards um, a military concept that the Jews understood when Israel would go to war. And this is how it worked. When there was a, a battle, you would obviously like in any country, the army goes and they fight the war. And these days we've got internet or we've got telephones or whatever, and then we get a messenger. The messenger will then send a message on what's going on in the war. Are we winning the war or are we losing the war? Now those days, um, it was before the days of the internet. They didn't even have electricity. Trust me, David didn't, I don't want to live like King David lived. It's a dark old castle. No way. <clears throat> they had a runner. And this is the message that the runner would come with if they won the war. Then when he comes over the mountains and by the way he would be running, you could see that it's good news. We won. And how would... These people that are living in slavery to a certain king live in freedom and have, the, have, have liberty to be themselves unless the king, their king or their lord, has won the battle for them. They will never be able to live free. Now, if the king has won the battle, how will they live free unless somebody tells them that their king that represents them has won their battle? And how will that man come and tell this guy unless the king has sent him? And I want to continue. How can the king send him if it's not true? That's, that's what, what he's using here. He's trying to explain salvation... From this comes from Romans 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. It tries to, this is Romans 10, tries to explain how to be saved from sin, how to be saved from what kept us in bondage, how to be saved from hurt and bitterness, and, and, and to, to, save, to be saved from 
I, what I don't want to do, that I do, and what I want to do, that I don't do. How to be saved from that. How to be saved from death. The, this is the way. You needed a king. That would be your king. And Jesus is the king of mankind. That king went into battle. And what he did was, he took captivity and he led it captive. He took slavery and locked it up. And then he sent a message on account of this truth. And he says, this is the truth. You are now free. The land belongs to you. Your king, your lord, or your, your, your leader is lord. He reigns. Amen? Amen? And when we can believe that, what will happen? We will not live like slaves anymore. <laughs> it's like in the, uh, uh, um, South Africa when the apartheid was ended. They went with the good news of the, uh, uh, Nelson Mandela is president. And when the people heard that the one they voted for, or the one that stood for them, is now president, and they are free, guess what? Then the people who believed it, went to shopping malls they never could go to before. They could stand in a certain lineup in a certain, at a certain place in the bank where they couldn't do it before. Why? Because they believe that their king is Lord. And that's the gospel. The death of Jesus includes everybody. Not just the believer. It includes everybody. He died for all people. And if I'm persecuted for saying Jesus died for all people, let it be. Because if I cannot say that, I have no gospel, and man, I can just leave everything and go and cycle. Why will I travel to the other side of the world if I don't have a message? Man? So, if it includes everybody, and if Jesus did what He did for everybody, and if He won the battle for everybody, what does that mean to everybody? Everybody is free. But the things that has been assigned to Jesus... And to God, things like a God of justice and punishment and anger and all those kind of things, makes that when we come with a message of, you are all free, that they cannot believe it. Because, no, 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 God is a just God, you know. What if I do this or what if I do that? And then the lie you heard about God makes that you cannot believe the truth. And how shall you then call upon the name? How shall your heart find enough evidence to say, I'm willing to take the family name of God on me and say that I call upon that inheritance of immortality? Your heart will not be able to do it, my friend. Your heart will not be able to do it. And we need freedom. We need freedom. We need the life of God. You know, to come to our hearts, church. We need a believable God. A God that you can go without fear and put your child in His hands. You know, when it comes to our children, we're so scared to actually give them over to God. Because 
our heart cannot trust Him, man. Because we've heard so many things about Him. Let me use this one verse. <clears throat> I don't know why. I just want to see, I've, I've messed up the slideshow. Oh, there it is. I'm going to just use one verse. I want to use more, but let me just use this one. What Jesus Christ came to do for us is He came to take away the voice of accusation and the voice of guilt and the system of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, I might get this to this tomorrow, but all of you might not be here tomorrow, but let me say this quickly. What is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Knowledge means intimacy or to be one with. Now, listen carefully to what is said in Genesis. God said in Genesis 2.17, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So, the fruit that this tree of the knowledge of good and evil or intimacy with good and evil will bring forth, don't eat of it. Now, how do you eat of that tree. Very simple. You believe what it says. How do you eat? How do you drink the blood of Jesus? You believe in what the blood of Jesus says. How do you eat the flesh of Jesus? You believe in what the body of Jesus stands for. Now, how do you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? You believe in what that tree says. And that's how you eat it. Now, I'm not very sure. Let me explain how eat work. When you take food and you eat it, what does it do? It, it goes into your digestive system and becomes energy and it gives you life. So when we eat the flesh of Jesus, when we believe it, it enters our spiritual digestive system and then gives us life. And we are then born from that belief. Okay, our life comes from that belief. So, if we eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it means I've got a belief that makes me one with, intimate with, the knowledge of good and evil. Now, what would good be? Good, <clears throat> Bible says clearly in I think Matthew 21, it says there's only one that's good and that's God. And what is evil? The Greek word for evil in the Septuagint in Genesis 2.17 there is the word full of labor, hard work. So what it is is to behold God, to see how the Trinity function, and then to say, I'll do what I see they do, and then I'll have life. <coughs> to believe that. That will kill you. You cannot love yourself. You cannot love your neighbor and so live. No, no, God loves you, therefore you live. <laughs> and because He then lives in you on account of His life, then you will also love. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, what, what has happened is, we've had this concept of, under the law, we had to do so much. Under grace, 
what God is now going to do is, He's going to empower you to do the more, which is actually God's standard. That's a certain concept that I hear in grace circles. I don't know if you've heard, that, heard it. In finances especially, under the law, you gave 10%. Under grace, you'll give more. Under the law, you forgave three times. Under grace, you forgive ten times. And when you, if you don't forgive the ten times, then all these consequences. That is just the law message. That is not the gospel. Shall I live an extremely holy life under grace? Of course, I'll be set free from sin. I'll be set free from, I will have the power of the Holy Spirit, man. I will have words of wisdom, words of knowledge. I'll be able to heal the sick. I will be, there will be so many things that come forth in my heart effortlessly without me trying to work it up. I'll have a heart at rest in the integrity of God. That's what the word believe means. To have your mind at rest at the integrity, veracity, friendship, and sound principle of another being. Or another man. That's when you trust God. So when you start to trust Him, you start to find, and you move in His Spirit, you find His Spirit brings, brings forth the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit as easy as what it was to sin under the law. As easy as what it was to be critical and judgmental and angry under the law and always think you're better than others, always judging everybody, or always thinking you're worse than everybody. As easy as what it was, that's how easy it will be. Under grace. But we cannot make the law that says we've done so much under the law and now we will do so much under grace. That will kill your heart. What we, this is what happened with the, with, with the um, uh, disciples of Jesus. In Luke 17, Jesus comes and He says to them uh, from verse 3, Take heed of yourself. If your brother trespass against you, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he trespass against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turns again to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And then the apostle said to him, Lord, give us more faith. Now what we've understood under, under grace, I, and I, not all, but some of us, I was in that as well, is that under grace, you know, God gives us the more power, more faith, to do the higher requirement. That is what, what I understood. And this is exactly what the disciples here said. The disciples said, Jesus said to the disciples, take heed of yourself. The law says forgive three times, but I tell you forgive seven times. But what Jesus said there was also law. And I'll explain to you why he said, why it's law. Then the disciples said, okay Lord, increase our faith. And that's the kind of faith we've had in church for a long time. It's the faith for something to happen in my life. The faith for me to forgive seven times. The faith for me to say, yes, I can. That's faith. But that is not the faith the Bible talks about. The faith the Bible talks about is a persuasion of what Christ has done that results into a heart that can have a mind at rest in the integrity of God. Which then can bring the hope in your heart that says, He shall even raise me from the dead. He shall, by His doing, find His fruit in my life by His Spirit. It's not, I can now do more. I hope you hear what I'm saying. Let me go around this once more, because I feel some might not understand what I'm saying. 
Jesus said, forgive three times. Oh, the law said, forgive three times. Jesus said, take heed of yourselves. Check yourself. I, I say to you, forgive seven times. They said, Lord, if you can increase our ability to believe that we can do it, we'll do it. We must just believe we can. Then we'll do it. Then Jesus said, because what was the first thing that came to their heart when Jesus said to them, forgive seven times? Guilt. Disqualification. And then, in their zeal for God, they said, Jesus, we call on you. If you can help us and persuade us that we can do this, we'll do it. Then Jesus, told, then Jesus said the following. If you have faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you'll say to this tree, be planted in the sea. And in the Greek it says a kind of fig tree. Fig tree talks about self-righteousness where you clothe yourself. So he says, what they said is, Jesus said, Hey, disciples, you think you are clothed with just three leaves of forgiveness? But your nakedness is exposed, man. You need more leaves. He said, well, Lord, if you can give me the strength to get more leaves, I'll clothe myself. Jesus said, guys, that's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is, if you've got the right persuasion, you'll get rid of this whole fig tree thing. So what does faith do? True faith uproots the whole system of take the good and work the good and by looking at how God lives, if I live like the Trinity, then I will have, if I just do that, if I jot God down and I can describe His love perfectly and just do that, I will have life. What does true faith do? True faith says, no, I have that life. True faith says, I cannot live that way. That's, th that makes me stand separate from God. Out of His relationship. When the Bible says, and God created. You know, the word create is um, bar aleph, son of God. The way God creates is by giving birth from the intimacy in the Trinity. So the, in the Trinity is intimate, then it brings forth a man. The Trinity is intimate, then it brings forth a planet. The, in, uh, uh, the Trinity is intimate and it manifests light. Okay, that's how God brings forth. And that is the only way wherein you will have life. You will see yourself included into that Trinity through Christ. And in that intimacy, you'll find God, Bar Aleph, son of Aleph. Bar Simon, Bar Jonah, Bar means son of. So the, 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 the good fruit in your life will be a son of God or born from God. He, will, he says we have been created unto good works. How are we created unto that? In that Trinity relationship. And then when we are in there, we find this trust relationship, this belief. And from there, God creates in our lives. So here, we, we find that true faith uproots everything that disqualifies every self-righteous system. It takes the fig tree and uproots it. Jesus goes on and He says, If a servant, if you just read on from verse 7 on, He says, if a servant works for the Master, and he completed the job at noon. Will the master now say to the servant, sit down, let me serve you? Jesus says, I think not. Will he not tell the servant, make me a meal 
and serve me. And when you have already finished serving me, then you can serve yourself. And then at the end of the day, you must say, I'm an unprofitable servant, for I've only done what was my duty. So what Jesus was trying to say to them is, that even if you can forgive three times, and you get that right at noon, do you think now, based on that works, the master is now going to serve you? No. He's going to give you more work. He's going to tell you, forgive seven times. But what I want you to see, and this is what Jesus said, I want you to see that this is not a slavery thing. Take this whole slavery mentality and cast it in the sea if you've got the right belief. Because if you can believe why Jesus came and what He is all about, you will say to that system, be cast into the ocean. Why the ocean? For He buried my sins in the depth of the sea and carried my guilt far away. As far as the east is from the west, He has removed my transgressions from me. Here they see seven times. Oh, okay. Lord, help me to forgive seven times. Then I know I'll be a child of God. Then I know the master will, will make me sit at his table. No, no, no. He has prepared a place for you at the table. So true faith tells that tree, be uprooted. So church, you have got a God that loves you. You have got a God that induces belief in your heart through equitable words, through words that will evoke your beauty. You have got a God that came and, and wants to win your friendship by speaking a language to your heart that can bring forth uh, um, true persuasion. You've got, a, you've got a God that has come in Jesus Christ and won your favor. Hear a message that He will, that, that can, um, that can gain, wherein He can gain goodwill with you. And see how He seeks to win you over by a captivating love for you. Glory to God. Let us pray together. Father, I want to thank You for Your great love. I want to thank You for Your mercy and Your grace. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Somebody here, I just feel, you know what happens when we are in the Trinity and we are, when we are co-seated with the Father and if I'm one with Him and He's one with you, then we start to feel and know one another. And that's how the gift, the, the word of wisdom works and the word of knowledge. I can feel what God feels about you and I can feel what you feel in your heart and you can feel what I feel and, and we become one because we are one in Him. And I feel in my heart that there's a, a lady here, you are so discouraged and there, there was just a certain thing in your life, that you just discouraged man and you feel man I'm giving up on it, it is it is not going to work for me. I'm, I'm in pain. And, um, and now what's happening is your heart's becoming calloused towards that area. And the Lord says, I love you. I feel your pain. What makes Jesus the biggest and the greatest lover in human history is that He can feel your pain. He says, I feel with you. I cry with you. I'm there with you. 
and in the deepest darkness of your pain, I embrace you and I love you. Never think I'm against you. I'm for you. And I will see that this beauty comes forth that you desire and that that desire you have will come forth. You've always believed in me. Continue to believe in me. Let this not bring a separation in your mind between us. I love you. That's the word of the Lord for you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. I just believe the Holy Spirit is just moving and just healing people. In the presence of a word of such, such love and such acceptance, we just find the healing power of God just touching people's lives, just confirming this word with signs, wonders, and miracles.